Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hey everyone, my guest today is Melissa Muldoon, author of four novels that bring Italian female artists to the center stage. Today she's here to talk with us about her latest novel, The Secret Life of Sofonisba Anguissola, the most famous woman you've never heard of. Sofonisba is an Italian portrait artist from the 16th century, and I know you're going to love learning more about her. But before we get started, here's the inside scoop on Melissa. Melissa Muldoon is the author of Dreaming Sophia, Waking Isabella, Eternally Artemisia, and The Secret Life of Sofonisba Anguissola. She is an artist and designer and creator of the Studentessa Mata dual language blog and YouTube channel. Through her many projects and her programs to study in Italy, Melissa promotes Italian language and culture. She has a BA in Fine Arts, Art History, and European History, and a Master's in Art History. She studied Painting, Language, and Art History in Florence. Melissa's four books, set in Italy, celebrate art and creativity. They tell the stories of women in their journeys of self-discovery to find love, uncover hidden truths, and follow their destinies to shape a better future. For more information about Melissa Muldoon and her books, visit her website at melissamuldoon.com. Well, hi, Melissa. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you, Sherry. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you as always. I look forward to your novels coming out every year. So to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your latest novel, The Secret Life of Sofonisba Anguissola. Uh, The Secret Life of Sofonisba Anguissola is a story about a real-life woman who lived during the 16th century. It tells the story of how she became a recognized and won international acclaim for her work and her day and age. She was a highly educated young woman who actually studied with Michelangelo. She attracted his attention for her work, and he later introduced her to Vasari, who was one of the most influential first art historians of the 16th century. Mm. So as a woman, this was uh, very much a coup. Uh, She lived well into her 80s and traveled extensively during her lifetime. She became court painter to Philip II of Spain and taught his queen, Catherine de' Medici's daughter, to paint. Mm. Uh, So Benisa, during her lifetime, was introduced to talented artists, dukes, princes, religious kings, fine queens. Lots of interesting personalities came into her life. And uh, so this new novel is based on facts, but it's written in a creative way to introduce and bring this fascinating female artist to life to a contemporary audience who perhaps have never even heard of her name, let alone know of her artwork. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed this book. Of course, all of your books kind of center around a female artist from Italian history. So, and I always enjoy learning about them. Uh, What inspired you to write about Sofonisba? As you know, I'm an art historian and I studied art history and I produce a blog and I write about Italian art as well as art of all genres. And I've always been aware of Sofonisba, and but really only what I she doesn't get a lot of things written about her, just small mm-hmm. paragraphs in art history textbooks and internet articles and things like that. And I started reading a more extensive uh, book about her, and 
as I was reading, I just, as I put it all together, I realized how much she had lived in her life. Living to be 83 years old, I thought was an incredible feat in that time. Yeah. Let alone uh, all the things that she traveled a great to Rome, to Sicily, to, and she spent a long time at the Spanish court in Madrid. And so as I got to putting all these things together, I thought there's a story here. And I really wanted to create some kind of an imaginative way of bringing her to life to demonstrate how she became famous, really, in her day and age, which was unique for women of her time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love the subtitle, the, the most famous woman you've never heard of, because it really sets the tone for everything that you're going to learn about Sophonice, but as a reader. And I love that. Yeah, it gave me a little a liberty because it is a fiction story, but it is based in fact. And it gave me the liberty to go explore things that perhaps, you know, to embellish upon history to make uh, an interesting mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what was she most famous for? Well, Sophonisa Anguissola is most famous for being one of the most uh, critically acclaimed female portrait painters of the 16th century. Uh, It was highly unusual for a woman to be recognized professionally in a male-dominated art circles of the time. Mm -hmm. But due to her father's encouragement, he also had a very interesting name, Amilcare. Sophonisa received a classical education and apprenticeships with local painting masters in her hometown of Cremona near Milan. Her early training helped hone her sharp mind and served to level the playing field with the other artists, male artists of her day and age. And aided by her father's social connections and his desire to see Sophonisa succeed, he helped introduce her to other famous artists like Michelangelo. And during Mm -hmm. her early 20s, they took a trip to Rome and her sketches, this is really interesting, it's a famous sketch of a boy who is bitten by a crayfish and he's crying. And Michelangelo saw this and was so taken with this drawing that she had made that he offered to critique and take her under his wing and really teach her wow. um, more about art and design. And then he introduced her to his friend, Giorgio Vasario, and if you know... Um, your art history, Giorgio Vasari, was one of the, or the first art historian of the 1500s. He documented all the famous painters, Leonardo and Michelangelo. And so it was a very big deal to be included in his book of famous artists of his day and age. And Michelangelo recommended that Sofonisa deserved a place in this book. And so she became uh, celebrated throughout Italy and became eventually recommended to Philip II, the King of Spain, and she traveled to his court where he taught his queen, Catherine de' Medici's daughter, to paint. Hmm. Now, Michelangelo, he was later on in life when they met. Is that right? Yes. So Vanessa was in her early 20s, but Michelangelo was toward the end of his life, and he was in his late 70s, early 80s. So he was the most famous artist at that point so to be singled out by him was just amazing really yeah yeah now it seemed like though I mean she she never backed down from any kind of task like meeting Michelangelo you know it's so it can be so intimidating but she she met all of her um challenges I guess with a a self-confidence that you know I really picked up on from the beginning 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think this comes from her father. He gave her a very unusual education. He yeah. and his and his wife really wanted their daughters to succeed and uh, follow a different path from other young women of her day and age. Yeah. Yeah. And that was most unusual, wasn't it? Yeah. And from the readings I did, and as I delved more into the Anguissola family, they were very proud of their historical origins. Amalcare believed that they were related to the Carthaginians, one of the very first tribes prior to the Romans. And so he was very proud of his heritage and he wanted his daughters to embrace this as well. And that is one of the reasons he gave his children such unusual names. He himself was named after a Carthaginian general named Amalcare and she Sophonisa was named after a Carthaginian princess. And I go into that in the book a little bit at the very beginning, um, how she came to have her very unusual name. And the Anguissola last name comes from also from a Byzantine general. And so they were very proud of their origins. Mm. And her father was inspired by Baldessari at Castiglione's uh, book. It's called Il Cortigiano which encouraged all young women to cultivate and perfect their talent. It was really uh, an etiquette book on how to comport yourself, but also very heavily was encouraging young women to read and to follow their, you know, whatever they were passionate about, their music, their writing. And so at an early age, Sophonisa's father encouraged his daughters and he saw immediately his eldest daughter, Sophonisa's talent for design and painting. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating story. I think the part of the story that I love the most is that, at least I put together in my mind, that uh, Sophonisa Anguissola was the actual inventor of the selfie, uh, starting with uh, her painting self-portraits back in the 16th century. Well, yeah, that's interesting, because at that time in history, things were changing from this medieval idea that things were very spiritual, and art had to reflect this very um, abstract quality. But during the time of the Renaissance, the focus was more on a humanist idea, the importance of depicting people and nature and focusing on the artist as uh, an important creator. So Sophonista's self-portraits are directly related to this new, fresh, humanistic direction. And what's really fascinating about Sophonista's portraits, and this shows what an interesting independent spirit she has, because in each of her portraits, she looks out directly at the viewer and as if to say, I'm here, I'm important, I, and she'll have like a little device, she'll either be standing at a clavichord or she'll be holding a book, and these indicate she's well-learned, she's reading, she plays the clavichord, she, mm-hmm. she has these accomplishments. And, and one of the portraits that I particularly love is a self-portrait. She does, it's a dual portrait, actually. She has a painting instructor, Bernardo Campi, And at first you think that he's painting her portrait. She's depicting him painting her. But there's kind of an illusion thing going on with her arm. If you look closely, you see that she, in the painting of herself, (laughs) the painting within a painting, she is holding his hand as if she is directing the brush strokes of her painting master. And it's almost like she says to the world, I am better than my painting instructor and I have almost surpassed what he has taught me and I am now you know master of my my uh, destiny 
And as I looked at all her self-portraits, this helped create this marvelous independent spirit that I wanted to uh, evoke throughout the novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, you wrote this story a little differently than you did your others. What made you decide to write Sophonisba's story differently? Yeah, it was true. Because with my first three books, I was interested in intertwining these, uh, like a contemporary story with a story from the past. So I wanted to tell how a woman from the past has influenced a woman from the future mm. and how their lives intertwine. So in Dreaming Sophia, the contemporary artist has these imaginative daydreams and she is able to talk to personalities from Italy's past like Eleonora de' Medici and Michelangelo and Leonardo. And it was a device in order to bring Italian personalities to life. And in my second book, the heroine was investigating through a documentary, the life of Isabella de' Medici. Mm-hmm. And in my third book, Eternally Artemisia, the heroine is a art therapist and she believes in parallel lives. And so she is able to connect with um, Artemisia Gentileschi, who was a painter from the 17th century. And through these bonds, we learn the background story, as well as we see how it influences the contemporary heroine. But I, as I was doing my research for Sofonisba, I really wanted to focus and stay in one time period and mm-hmm. explore what that would feel like instead of bouncing back and forth between, you know, contemporary and going back into the past and time travel and all that. Yeah. And I wanted to really ground my story in the past. And I decided to focus on one heroine set in the 16th century. And I felt her story, as I said, was rich enough and elaborate enough with lots of twists and turns to develop a tale entirely based on just Sophonisba. But still, it got a little tricky because, well, it, the arc of the story follows her from a very young girl to an old woman. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting journey. And it presented its own challenges, so to speak, to show her um, progressing in maturity and how she changed throughout her life. And as I said, the story kind of opens up with her as an old woman speaking to a young artist and he wants to know about her life story. And I use that as a device to introduce her story to the world. Yeah, I love that method. I thought it was very effective. Now, the artist that she was telling her story to, was he an up and coming artist? He was up and coming, but yes, he was an important artist, a Flemish artist, Anthony Van Dyke. And he had traveled to England and he had worked at the uh, English court there. And I just thought when I read this, this is what really got me interested in writing the story. I was like, okay, yeah, you know, she's an interesting person. And then as I got reading and I, I saw that they had spent an afternoon together and he comments later in his diary that he learned more about art and life from this one woman, this Sophonisa Anguissola, than anyone he had ever met in his life. And I thought, what would she have told him that afternoon? And what could have been so uh, life-changing? And how could he have formed such a bond? He was like 26 or 23, a young man. Yeah. And she was in her late 80s. And what, what went on that afternoon when they had tea and talked? And yeah. so that got me started thinking and I originally I was thinking it was going to be I wanted her to spin her story but yet she's mischievous and she's lived this long life and she she kind of she has a sense of humor so she wants to um, have some fun with him you know tease him and I like the relationship too because it almost mimics her relationship she has with her husband when they met you know they have this teasing 
banter back and forth. So she, even in her old age, she keeps this spark, this sparkle, this witty uh, character about her. And she's able to have fun with Anthony Van Dyke. And originally I was going to call it like three truths and a lie because I want her to tell the story and at once I want it to unwind, but I want there to be almost a game playing aspect that he has to figure out what part of her story is a lie. So I kept that, but I changed it obviously because no one really knows much about Sofanisba. And so I kept it the secret life. I felt that that tied in also to her days at the Spanish court when there was a lot of spy intrigue. And so a lot of things, yeah. You know, started weaving together as I wrote the story. And yeah, I love that you happened upon that bit of information in his journal because I really enjoyed their relationship as well. In spite of like the what almost 60 years differences, um, it was mm-hmm. almost almost flirtatious, you know, harmless. Um, but it was fun to read about them going back and forth in, in a playful yeah, and, manner. And they're kind of parallels too because she, as a young girl, meets Michelangelo in his early 80s. And so there are a lot of parallels throughout the story that, you know, Michelangelo gives her advice and gives her the secrets of life and some um, encouragement. And she's able to relay that also to this young artist. Yeah, absolutely. Pay it forward. As an old woman. (laughs) Yeah, as an an old woman, she's able to pay it forward. Yeah. So the secret life of Sophonisba includes a healthy doses of intrigue and romance and betrayal. You've got love and war and politics. As usual, you know, there's truly something for everyone in your novels. I'm curious, though, which storyline did you have the most fun writing? I loved all parts. I really enjoyed <laughs> writing the story. But I really enjoyed writing the book's middle section, which takes place in Madrid during Sophonisba's days as court painter in Spain. And really very little is known of what happened during that time. She was in her 30s about when she arrived at the palace in Spain. Mm-hmm. And she was called there. She painted a portrait for the Duke of Alba, who also plays a very interesting part of the whole novel, which is very much embellished. But uh, she paid, she got to know the Duke of Alba, who was the governor of Milan. And as he was on a peacekeeping mission in the northern Italian region, but when he got called home to Spain, he brought her along with, and she became then part of Elizabeth's entourage. She became a lady-in-waiting to Elizabeth of Valois, uh, as I mentioned, who was the daughter of Catherine de' Medici. So mm-hmm. there was a tie there with the de' Medicis and Sofonisba. And as I was doing my research, I, I was very fortunate to come across Martha Walker's compilation of Elizabeth the Queen's original diary entries, which proved to be very fascinating reading. And it opened my eyes to some of the personalities, Don Carlos, who was King Philip's son, who was really off his rocker. He was, he was really quite, he caused a lot of problems in the court. And it's the Queen documents all the disturbing mm. things that he did. He, he was really a mad prince. And so Sanifa was you know, in this court circle, so obviously she had to have been privy to the antics and things going on at court and what Don Carlos was saying and, and the things he was doing. And so I knew there had to be some kind of relationship there that I wanted to explore. Yeah. And uh, also, it pleased me to incorporate, as, as I said, the spy craft into the plot because there was a lot of uh, intrigue going on between the court and England and the court in Spain and back and forth and things that were happening in the Netherlands 
uh, trying to keep the heretics down. And so there was a lot, a lot of political intrigue going on, a lot of uh, back and forth between the papacy and the, the Church of England. So this whole spy gathering, uh, information, cover-ups, and just unconventional lifestyles, yeah. all these things fit nicely to the theme of the secret life of Sophia and untangling the true story of her life. Yeah, yeah. It sounded like such a crazy time, especially with the Mad Prince, like you called him. I love that. He was quite, uh, yeah, he was only 23 when he died. He was the same age as Elizabeth, the French queen who came to become his mother, the queen of, of mm. Spain. But, I mean, he he did, he burned out houses. He, he was self-centered and had tantrums and just he was a terror and people walked on eggshells whenever he showed up so he was a fascinating character to develop and uh, to add to the story i'll bet he was you really painted him as a nasty character i'm I'm... (laughs) (laughs) but it's all true it's all true so that's why i'm so happy to have read this book that just gave me this great background information to craft my story and, and based on truth yeah I also got, you touched a little bit upon it, how Sophonisba is used to being somewhat independent, given the way she was brought up and educated. And I almost felt like she found the court life to be a little bit stifling. Yeah, maybe that's a departure on my, how I would view it. I think it was must have been amazing to be there. It was an honor for her to be there. Mm-hmm. But after a while, there are restrictions you have to a lot of court protocol. And so I wanted to kind of play that up as well, that perhaps once she got there, life may have not been exactly what she was uh, anticipating. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, she was painting and she was teaching the queen, but she was also a lady in waiting. So she had to attend all these court functions and uh, stand in attendance. And so I, I wanted to investigate a little bit what that might have felt like, yeah. standing for long hours in uh, high heels that pinch your feet and you know she was used to she she came from a family in in uh, Cremona near Milan in Italy that was um they were nobles but they were you know a little bit on the decline and she and her sisters had a very playful or at least in my my mind in my novel I've created them as being independent spirits and Mm -hmm. uh, teasing each other so moving to the court must have been a little bit more you know restricting you know for her that she couldn't be her total free self or let her independent nature, you know, flourish. So she starts to feel a little like her wings are clipped a little bit. Yeah. It's a little more formal for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was the most challenging part of all that to write? Well, the challenging part in any historical novel, I would say is trying to convey the information, the history part, uh, so that it puts it into context so that the reader is up to speed, can understand why characters would act a certain way because, or, or the political climate, the, the, the social climate, uh, why, you know, people would act a certain way, what their motives would be. But you have to impart some of this information in such a way not to be so heavy handed and not to be doing these information dumps, mm-hmm. so to speak, to lightly paint the, the picture so you would understand uh, the tensions between Spain and England and the political climate between Spain and the Netherlands and why Duke of Alba has to go charging off to the Netherlands to put down the heretics. And also when she goes to Sicily toward the, I would like to say the third part of the book, 
Yes, people think of Sicily as being this beautiful island paradise, but back in the 16th century, it was, you know, feudal lords, and there was a little bit of unrest, and Mm -hmm. there were uprisings, and why was that, and what caused that? So, uh, you know, you have to get some information out there, and I, you know, the first couple drafts I wrote, I'm just like big into the history, and I'm loving the history, and I'm writing all this down, and my first reader was like, oh, you know, maybe you might want to like pull back a little bit on this, or this is just, it just feels like, you know, there's a page of, you know, I'm reading a history book. So you have to rewrite that. And through conversations, through other showing rather than telling this, this kind of thing that that was very enjoyable once I had it down on paper to draw back and pull back and then reweave it into the story, so to speak. Yeah. Now, how hard is it to, you obviously came up with enough information to craft a, a wonderful story. How hard is it to research things going back that far? Well, that's the fascinating part. And actually, I started researching the story back in 2019 during the summer. Hmm. I, after writing Artemisia, and I, I thought, well, who else could I write about that nobody really knows about? <laughs> and of course, I thought of Sophonisa. And as I said, I started checking out books and buying books on Amazon and reading everything I could get my hands on. Hmm. So once I, I get my idea and my story and I write it, I write a handwritten like a hundred page draft of mm. what the story is going to be, which is really dramatic and over the top and overblown. And <laughs> I cringe when I read it, but as they say, the first draft is exists only to exist so that you can then refine it. Right. But after I write that first draft, I sit on my bed and handwrite on a big legal pad and I'm just writing away and, and then I sit at my computer after that's done and I sit and I hammer out what each chapter would be. And as I'm writing that, I am digging around the internet. The internet's great. I love the internet for doing research. So if, even if I wanted to find out what a corset might felt like or, or what it's called, you know, the certain um, farthingale or whatever article of clothing, I, you know, I'll get sidetracked and for a day I'm researching teapots and whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) teapots to shoes and that's fascinating so I keep copious notes and I'm you know uh, highlighting passages and that leads me to other books and I'm ordering things on Amazon so I'm just I'm just constantly yeah um, researching and then I after I get each chapter arc done then I start the writing and it's just a free flow I just start writing and even then I'll get to a point where I'm like oh you know I wonder what you know, the lemons in Sicily are like or whatever. So, you know, so I'm always taking breaks and doing yeah. further investigation as things come up in the writing as I'm writing. Yeah, uh, that's what sounds like so fun to me about writing historical fiction, just the the learning that you do while while you're preparing for your own story. So, yeah, nice. Yeah. Now, did you learn anything about Sophonisba that surprised you? Uh, yeah, I was really, again, oh, so the first discovery was the conversation she has with Anthony. But then as I continued reading, this just moved me that uh, she eventually marries a man named Orazio Lomolino, and she meets him on a ship. He's a ship captain. And I thought, wow, <laughs> this woman has lived this incredible life. You know, she's been at the Spanish court. She's been in Rome. She's met Michelangelo. She's met Masari. She's been a painter to, you know, the Duke of Alba. And yet she meets this ship captain when she's in her 30s and they fall in love and they marry against her brother's wishes. 
And so there's drama there. And then I read that when she dies at 83, he writes, he's five years her junior, but still he's an elderly gentleman at this point. He writes the most romantic epithet on her gravestone in commemoration of the most gifted woman, I'm paraphrasing here, and the love Aww. of my life. I'm like, who does that? And he really <laughs> loved her. And Aww. I thought there's this beautiful connection between the two of them. And I wanted to explore that. I wanted to find out what these two people had together. And I knew there was a love story between these two people as well as her love for her artwork. So that's what really cinched it. And I thought, well, there's a really cool story to be told here. And, you know, I'm going to invent a few things. And, but for the most part, it, it all happened. Yeah. Yeah. What a life. Yeah. Yeah. Very secret life. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of life, life's been interesting for us here in the 21st century. How has the global pandemic, among other things, affected your writing and uh, your marketing efforts this year? Well, this has been a very interesting year, aside from not traveling and getting to meet people and traveling to Italy. Uh, really, the global pandemic hasn't stopped me from writing or pursuing my other creative pursuits. Mm-hmm. I'm always here. I work. I'm here in Austin, Texas. I love it here, and I have my own home office, and I'm always in front of my computer. So really, life is pretty normal for me in yeah. that regard. But writing this novel was, I think it was a saving grace for me this year. It was a great escape and a comfort to lose myself and creating a new world, filling it with interesting characters and developing somebody's buzz story. And when I write it, really the world disappears and uh, only somebody's that exists. So Mm. uh, it has given me a much needed outlet during these strange times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing that there are going to be a whole lot of novels coming out in 2021. (laughs) Yeah. I think so. I think uh, authors, it's just such a great escape. And uh, yeah, but I do miss uh, getting out and I'm used to going, organizing book fairs and meeting my readers in person. But uh, it's amazing what the internet can do. I'm um, still reaching out, making connections and uh, developing uh, new ways of marketing my books, which I might not have had I not been forced to stay at home. Right. So it's been kind of an incentive to reach out and find new ways of uh, getting the word out about my books. And the computer really is a, a very powerful tool yeah. and lets me keep working uninterrupted. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. We're all learning and growing this year. Yeah. Now I know the secret life of Sophonispa and Gosola just hit the market. Uh, where do you go from here? Do you take some time off and just kind of bask in the glory or do you have other writing projects you're working on uh, what's next for you yeah I spent this entire year writing Sophonisa story really got started in January and then got right when COVID hit at the end of March I, I just really hunkered down and started writing and I've been writing almost eight to ten hours nonstop. so mm. I'm really thrilled to have this book out now and I think it's one of my best. And I'm reveling now in just kind of the glow of having finished a novel. And mm-hmm. uh, it's been getting some nice feedback. And I think her story is really beautiful. I'm really proud of it. 
And so I think I'm going to take a little time to just switch caps now from author to marketer. But I'm always writing for my um, Italian blog. So I have the student at the Mata, which I promote the Italian language and culture. I take groups to Italy. Of course, my groups had to be canceled this year, mm. but hopefully get back to it next year. So I'm going to be still writing on my blog. I do also the Art of Loving Italy, which is a blog site for art, not just Italian. It's a concept of the Art of Loving Italy is just embracing all different forms of beauty and art. So I talk a lot about contemporary as well as artists from the past. Mm. And uh, also, so this year I worked with a New York actress and she turned my previous three books into audiobooks. So that was a fascinating experience as well. I'm really proud of those. And um, so I plan, you know, I always have a creative project up my sleeve and who knows. I told myself I was going to take some time off and not write a novel, (laughs) but I'm already, I'm already noodling around some ideas. So we'll see, but I hope next year I'll be able to be traveling. So I want to be focusing on that. Yeah, yeah. You traveled in years past twice a year to Italy. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if uh, Sofonisa would have, because I didn't travel, because I usually spend the months of June and September in Italy. That would have been right in the middle of writing her. So in some ways, I don't know, maybe I needed to write this and I needed to be home here to complete her story. So yeah, yeah. Well, Melissa, yeah. is there anything else you wanted to add today? Well, I just want to thank you very much for this interview. You've been very gracious, and I really appreciate talking with you. I also want to thank all the people who have read my previous novels and who will be reading the story of Sofonisa. And I hope my adventures of all my heroines, especially those of Sofonisa, keep you all entertained. And I sincerely appreciate all the moments you spend turning the pages, getting to know my characters, and Hopefully when you finish the novel, please consider giving a review on Amazon or Goodreads. I check all my reviews and comments, and they inspire me to continue writing. And it's also a great way for others who are interested in art, Italy, and strong women to find my novels. So I appreciate that. And look for all my novels in audiobooks, too. It's like a mini movie. It's really fun to create. So please go listen to one of my audiobooks. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, as always, for sharing a little bit about your work and a little bit about yourself with us, Melissa. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for joining me today for my interview with Melissa Muldoon. To learn more about Melissa and all of her work, visit her website at melissamuldoon.com. And be sure to check out all our author interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.